You've heard that it was said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. When I was going to Bible college, they used to always tell us, you know, whenever you start out a sermon, you've got to have a really catchy story or something. You've got to have a hook that, that'll, that people will just, oh yeah, and, and gr- that grabs their attention. Um, now, you don't need a story today, do you? Because I sort of like, I just read that, what Jesus just said, and it's like, yeah, love your, love your enemy, pray for those who persecute you. And I sort of think, I think that's confronting enough to get our attention because that's, that's pretty hard to do. You've heard that it is said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, let's get it clear from the start. God never said, hate your enemy. You know, like some people read that and think, oh, that must be a quote from the Old Testament. It's not. God did say, love your neighbour, but he did not say, hate your enemy. Now, that's something that man has tacked on. One of the very real dangers for us humans is to try to use our own logic uh, to take a commandment, commandment of God and to dumb it down a bit so that we find it achievable. You see, God said, love your neighbour. And most of us can probably think, yeah, that's, that's pretty doable provided I like my neighbour. And so um, man then took that commandment of God and extrapolated it, thought about it logically and thought, okay, well, if God's commanding me to love my neighbour, that's obviously somebody I like. Well, the inverse of that must be true as well, so it's okay to hate my enemy. Love my neighbour, hate my enemy. And that's the way that that they sort of dumbed down that rule. Um, and most people can do that. Can you do that? Can you love your neighbour as long as it's okay to hate your enemy? Yeah? Everybody, nobody has trouble with that, do they? But Jesus says, no, that's not what God said. Jesus says that you have to love your enemies and that you have to pray for those who persecute you. And he gives us a reason for it. Did anyone pick up on the reason why in that reading? That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. You know the old saying, you know, the chip off the old block? Well, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, right? We are to be like our Heavenly Father. If you're a child of God, you should become like your Heavenly Father. And this is what God is like. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So if your neighbours seem to be getting the rain and you're missing out, well, that's not necessarily that, that you've been a sinner and they haven't. Um, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Don't even tax collectors do that. And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Don't even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So what Jesus is saying is be like God. Now, that's a pretty tall order. But in this one regard is all we're looking at today. God is good to all people. God poured out his love not just on good people. God poured out his love on evil people as well, even on his enemies. Here's your story, Francois. I saw you wanting a story. Here's a story. (laughs) And it's even a story about Africa. 
Uh, when World War I broke out, the War Ministry in London dispatched a coded message to the British outposts and one of these was an in- inaccessible area of Africa and the message read, War declared. Arrest all enemy aliens in your district. So they sent a reply then to the War Ministry a bit later saying, have arrested ten Germans, six Belgians, four Frenchmen, two Italians, three Austrians and an American. Please advise immediately who we're at war with. Who's the enemy? Who's the enemy? Let's do a pop quiz here. Who here feels that they are a child of God? Do you feel you're a child of God? Yeah, that's, that's a good start. Who here believes they are loved by God? Yeah. Who here knows they are a friend of God? Yeah. What about this one? Who here feels that they are an enemy of God? No one feels that here? Okay. Does God even have enemies? What do you reckon? Does God have enemies? Yeah? Yeah? I'm going to take you to James chapter 4, reading from verse 4. You adulterous people. Now, that's a bit confronting. He's writing to a church here, folks. Okay? Imagine if somebody came to this church and got up here to preach it and said, You adulterous people. Well, that's what's happening here. James is writing to a church and that's how he addresses this church. He's talking to Christians. Only these Christians have been getting drawn back into worldliness. And he says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. That's pretty strong language, isn't it? Even Christians, when they are drawn back into worldliness... When we choose to be a friend with the world, we become enemies of God. Does that open your eyes as to how important it is for Christians, how important it is for a church to not be drawn into worldliness? When we become enemies of God, it is because we've been drawn back into worldliness. But I thank God that we don't have to stay enemies of God. And reading this, I realise there's times when I become worldly. There's times when my mind gets fixated on worldly stuff instead of in the spirit. And so I thank God that we don't have to stay worldly. The answer is more grace. I used to have a bit of a skivvy jumper sort of a thing and it was from the show Home Improvements. You know, Tim the Toolman, everyone know that show? Oh, oh, oh. Uh, I can't remember who gave it to me. Did you give it to me, Robin, or did somebody? You did, yep. It was somebody who knew me well. And this shirt had a picture of a great big saw blade on it and it had written on it, the answer is more power. I don't care what the question is. Right? They, They knew me well. They knew me well. The answer is more power, I don't care what the question is. But when it comes to getting right with God, the answer is always more grace. More grace. I don't care what it is, to get right with God, the answer is more grace. Because I can't make myself right with God. I can't all of a sudden start being a good guy and doing good stuff and therefore make myself right with God. When I start going off and getting worldly, 
and think, oh, I've become an enemy of God. I've got to get back right with God. I can't do anything to make it right. The answer is always in God's part. And the answer is more grace. So reading on from James 4, but he gives more grace. All right, remember he's talking about people who have slipped back into worldliness and become enemies of God. He gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Now, this is advice to Christians, right? This is advice to a church. Whenever the last time you've been in church and somebody's given you as a congregation the advice, be wretched and mourn and weep. When's the last time somebody went on to say, let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom? When's the last time you were told that in church? Now, usually we sort of try to generate a, a happy, cheery, jump around joyous atmosphere, don't we? But there's a time for this. There's a time to be wretched and mourn. There's a time to weep. There's a time for your laughter to be turned to mourning. There's a time for your joy to be turned to gloom. Humble yourselves, therefore, before the Lord and he'll exalt you. This is all about humbling ourselves. It's when we realise that, hey, I've become worldly. I've started following after things in the world. Good morning, folks. I've started following after things in the world instead of being right with God. And therefore I've become an enemy of God and it's only when we humble ourselves before God in that way that he then draws us back and gives us more what? More grace. God gives more grace. So for a Christian we can become enemies of God again when we become worldly. And if you feel that you've become an enemy to God in that way, your part is to humble yourself before God. So stop being double-minded. I reckon most of us to an extent are double-minded. Whereas truly you're either of God or of the world. Which one are you most of? Are you most of God or are you most of the world? What do you spend most of your time concentrating on? What do you spend most of your time working for and catering towards? Yield to God and his grace is sufficient. Okay, but we're coming back now. Who's the enemy? If you guys, we're, we're looking at the passage where it says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And we do that because that's what God is like. God loves his enemies. Okay, so who is the enemy? Who are the enemies of God? Now, you have to listen carefully because I'm going to give you two statements. I did have them up on the screen, but... It's at home still. Okay, two statements. I want you to tell me which of these two statements are true. Those who are lost in sin and reject Jesus Christ are enemies of God. That's the first statement. And the second statement is God loves all people. Alright, so that's the two statements. Those who are lost in sin and reject Jesus Christ are enemies of God. And the second statement is, God loves all people. Which of those statements is true? 
May the forks there. <laughs> we put the fingers that way around in Australia. <laughs> they're both true. Of course they're both true. Those who reject God are enemies of God. All sinners are enemies of God. Now it's not very politically correct to say that. But it's true. All sinners are enemies of God. All liars are enemies of God. And it doesn't take much to be a liar, folks. All adulterers are enemies of God. All gossips are enemies of God. All people who are filled with pride are enemies of God. All homosexuals are enemies of God. All people of other religions are enemies of God. All terrorists are enemies of God. All who dishonour their parents are enemies of God. All who covet their neighbour's possessions are enemies of God. All rapists, murderers, psychopaths, swindlers, pedophiles are enemies of God. Now, which of these people does God not love? He loves them all, doesn't he? Not one of them is not loved by God. God loves every single one. And while you were still a sinner, God loved you. You were an enemy of God. But God loves his enemies. Paul explains it in Romans chapter 5, reading from verse 6. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more? Having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Now that sounds like an impossible command to you to love your enemies and to pray for those who persecute you. And you will never understand loving your enemy. You'll never be able to feel any reason to love your enemy until you accept the fact that you at one time were an enemy to God. And at that time, while you were still God's enemy, God loved you enough that Jesus Christ died for you on the cross. That's how much God loves his enemies. And that's how God has loved you. That is love. And that's what it means to love like God loved. And because God did that for us, because God did that for you, because God did that for me, That's why we have to love our enemies. Because all we have to do is love like God loved. God's way isn't just to love the people we like. God's way isn't just to love the people who like us. It is to love the people we don't like. It is to love the people who have got it in for us. It is to love those who lie to us. 
It is to love those who cheat us. It is to love those who seem to delight in devising ways to harm us. You see, as Christians, we are called to a higher level of love. It's said in there that if you only love those who love you, how are you any different to anybody else? Doesn't everybody else do that? Yeah, they do. As a Christian, you are called to a higher level of love. Somebody once said, to repay evil for good is devil-like. To repay evil for evil is man-like. To repay good for evil is God-like. It's a natural expression of the flesh to love those who love you. It's a natural expression of the flesh to hate those who hate you. But to become like God is where we begin to love those who hate us. God loves all people. That's why Jesus died for them. Now that doesn't mean that all people are going to get to heaven. If when you die, or if Jesus returns first, when he comes, if you at that time are an enemy of God, you will be subject to judgment and go to hell. Let me be very clear about that. Even though God loves all people, doesn't mean that his enemies are going to get to heaven. But the good news is that because God loves all people, God doesn't want you to be his enemy. God wants you to be his friend. And that's why Jesus Christ, while we were enemies, showed his love for us by dying on the cross. Now, if God loves all people, how should we love them? Liars, adulterers, Muslims, terrorists, those who dishonour their parents, those who covet, rapists, murderers, psychopaths, swindlers, pedophiles. How do we love these? Some of these people will repulse you. Some of them will make you feel sick to the pit of your stomach. How much more do you think a holy God is sickened when he sees the very acts in progress? But God loves these people enough to desire to see them saved from their sin. And that's how we are to love. The love of God doesn't say, by the way, that thing that we once used to call sin, well, because I love you, we're not going to consider that sin anymore. The love of God does not say God loves all people therefore everyone's going to get to heaven. Nor does the love of God say all the good people will get to heaven and everybody else gets to go to hell. That's not what the love of God is about. God's love is that he wants to be in relationship with all people. That's why he loves all people. He wants to be in relationship with them. And I can't be in relationship with God if I'm not holy. And I can only be made holy in one way, and that's through the blood of Jesus. And it's the same for you. And it's the same for every sinner in the world. The love of God is to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. And the good news of Jesus Christ is that even though you are an enemy of God, 
in Jesus Christ as you turn away from your sins that you once used to delight in, you become a child and a friend of God. Love is not a feeling, particularly the sort of love that Jesus is talking about here. Love is an action. Love is something you do. Love is something that you sometimes have to force yourself to do because it will go right against what you want to do. It's not a feeling. You've got to get that out of your head. Love is an action. To love all people means that you will demonstrate your love to them in tangible ways. That you'll lend a helping hand when a helping hand is needed. That you'll go and visit the lonely, cranky old fellow that nobody wants to visit because he's so lonely and cranky that nobody wants to visit him. But he's still needing to hear the love of God. And one of these tangible ways that we show love is to also share with these people the good news of Jesus Christ with them as well. Questions? Everybody right to love their enemies now? Good to go, Tim. Excellent.